Welcome into the lounge presented by DraftKings. The NFL scouting combine is upon us. And before Garrett heads out to Indianapolis, we're going to break down all the things that we're going to be looking for to come out of the combine. So, Garrett, uh, the first thing that is kind of on the docket is we hear from head coach John Harbaugh and general manager Eric DaCosta on Tuesday. You started on a serious note. I thought you were going to be like, the first thing on the docket is your St. Elmo's expense report. I, was, I thought right, I When you going to get the shrimp cocktail? Look, I'm you, keeping it classy. I'm keeping it classy, <laughs> all right? You know, you'll, you'll save that down to business okay. here, Garrett. This okay. is a business trip. I know yeah. for you, it's the, all about the shrimp cocktail, but for <laughs> me, it's a business trip, and I want to talk business. For years, a business trip, not even going on the business trip. <laughs> Look, Cliff's got it. All right, he's my combine specialist. Yep, Cliff and I will be the eyes and ears from Indianapolis this week, That's which right. we are going to do some podcasts live from out in Indianapolis this yep. week. So uh, keep keep your your ears peeled for that coming up. Yeah. But anyway, yes. as I was saying, kind of the first big thing that happens on Tuesday is we hear from John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta. What do you expect to come out of that press conference? Yeah, well, I think that there's been some things that have kind of changed or evolved since we last heard from them, which was the season review press conference. For Harbaugh, I certainly think that the coaching staff is going to be part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. There's been some comings and goings on the coaching staff over the course of the last few weeks. It, you know, it obviously started with Mike McDonald and Zach Orr gets promoted and to defensive coordinator. That's already been discussed. Of course, there was a Zach Orr press conference, mm-hmm. but there's been a handful of other moves, uh, reported moves, and um, so I think that that's going to be part of the conversation with him. And then for DaCosta, you know, I think that a lot of it is going to center on free agency. Mm-hmm. And I will be interested to see how forthcoming he is when it comes to some of these pending free agents. Well, the big one is Justin Matabike, obviously, and whether the Ravens plan to put the franchise tag on him or not. I'm sure he'll be asked that question probably straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure he probably will not answer that question. Yeah. Straight up. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, he, he made it pretty clear in the end of the season review a press conference that he's not going to tip his hand on Justin Matabike or probably any of the big Ravens free agents and what their plans are there. That was his takeaway from Lamar Jackson and negotiations with him was that it doesn't pay to put out information. Mm -hmm. And so I don't expect a whole lot of insight in that regard. I will be curious to hear what they have to say about the offensive line, you know, not re-signing Kevin Zeitler before that void years deadline past and what they kind of envisioned for how they're going to rebuild that line. They have right now two open spots at guard. They're starting guard spots, both pending free agents now. And then at tackle, there's been a lot of talk about Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses and whether the team uh, has them in their, their plans for next season. Yeah. Now they're not going to sit there and say what those plans are exactly with those players. But I do think that we could get some insight on how big this rebuild, for lack of a better word, might be. Yeah, there, and also there's been times where you know people have questions about players and whether they're going to be on the team. You know, and he's indicated like you know we expect, you know, just as an example here, you know, some pundits had speculated, oh, could the Ravens, you know, look to move Rashad Bateman this offseason? You know, mm-hmm. Tacosta made the point. You know, we expect Rashad Bateman to have a really good. Right. season next right. so year. That kind you of squash that. Story. Yeah, exactly. Kind of squash that. So it's like, you know, honestly, he 
did it. He could go, say the he same did it. one, Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses, basically. He, he could. Also, even Eric did it last year with Patrick Queen. You know, at the, at the time, it was after the draft when he joined the, the lounge, and there was all this conversation, is Patrick Queen going to be on the team next year? You know, they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. Are they going to move him? All this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and DaCosta said at that point, you know, we're looking to f- that Patrick could have a great season and also, you know, at the time would hope to, to extend him. So all that to say, like, he, maybe he'll be forthcoming on, on some of those players that potential exists. The potential again, exists for fifth-year option questions. I do I think that will that be... That probably happen to Dafayoe and Rashad Bateman. I bet he, you know, he basically didn't... He was asked that question like four different times last year on Patrick Queen and never answered it, and then it basically <laughs> the deadline just passed, yeah. which is around the draft. So it would not surprise me if it, if that's mm-hmm. how he approaches it again. I, I agree with you. I think the offensive line and how the Ravens plan to address that will be a good topic of conversation because... You know, he he's he already went down that path at the season review press conference of saying that, that you know, we really believe in the it's importance of the offensive line. That's a priority. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of hinted that there could be some some investment there. And yeah. I think that that will be another piece of the conversation. The other thing that I'm also curious, curious to hear from him, and with all this you have to read between the lines and there's a lot of gray area, but I'm curious to hear how active he expects the Ravens to be in free agency. Like, they're tied against the salary cap. We we dug through all of that with Brian McFarland in the episode that we dropped last week about cap space and how they could create cap space and how they're limited in that front. But how active will they be in free agency? And, you know, he may... Well, I don't know what he'll say, but I think that, like, any anything that he says on that front, I'll just be curious uh, what the takeaway is there. Well, a lot of that depends on what the answer is to Justin Matabike. Yeah, there's a, there's what a lot the, of dominoes. What the answer, yeah, ultimately what happens there. Uh, not actually his answer in the press conference. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of the first big domino there. There's other position groups that I think he and Harbs will probably talk about. Running back being among them. That room has the possibility of a lot of changes in that room. Additions. I think wide receiver, even though the Ravens already brought back Nelson Aguilar, that is always a position that will be talked about in Baltimore. And what could the Ravens look to add to that room? How could they bolster that room? That will be another one. And then you still have some other free agents that are out that pending free agents, Jadavion Clowney, Van Noy at outside linebacker. You know, what do you what's kind of the outlook on that outside linebacker room? How confident do you feel in David Ajabo's ability to be an impact player in year three? Just for fans out there listening, David Ajabo is around the building. Saw him when I was washing my hands, getting ready to get some lunch today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's a guy that's busting his butt, has not gone home back to, to England to uh, get some vacay. Like, this dude is getting ready and trying to get in peak physical condition for a big year three. So just a little insight, insight there. Um, but the Ravens still have a decision to make of, all right, it's been back-to-back years. One was a pre-draft injury for him. The other one happened last year, and there's a decision to be made there on whether he got the surgery or not, whatnot. Got the surgery really to set him up for to be in good position for year three. How strongly can the Ravens trust that he's going to be able to hold up and not have another lost year to injuries? Yeah, I definitely think that the, the outside linebacker position is, is a really interesting one, as well as running back. So, you know, I, and I think the other piece that I will be curious to hear from is the possibility of extensions for guys who are still under contract. Brandon Stevens is the one who kind of jumps out Mm -hmm. after a breakout season. He's going into the final year of his deal. Do the Ravens try to work out an extension with him? They've done this in past years. There's plenty of examples of it. They did it last year with Broderick Washington as an example. Well, and it doesn't have to necessarily be guys that are getting extensions 
as a second contract, young players like that. I mean, it could be for salary cap reasons. You look at Pat Ricard, Mm -hmm. for example, could be a player that they want to sign to another extension just to mitigate some of his salary cap costs. There could be other deals like that. Yeah, so I think that that is um, all of that is likely to be discussed during their press conferences. Just so you know, Tacosta is ten thirty a.m. on Tuesday, and uh, Harbaugh is at eleven fifteen. So we'll stream those for everybody live. You can watch them on the site app, YouTube, Facebook. So, and then also the Ravens Press Pass podcast feed will have those in their entirety after those press conferences take place. Uh, so keep uh, keep a lookout for all of that and and subscribe to the Ravens Press Pass podcast feed as well. So in terms of some other stuff. Um, that I think is interesting in looking at the combine and look, we're not going to go through and, and read off 20 different names, you know, about who the Ravens could draft. There'll be a lot of time to, to discuss that between now and the draft. But whenever the combine comes up, there's always a discussion about like how valuable it is, how much emphasis the Ravens put on it. What's your take on what the significance of the combine is, you know, for the Ravens and, and, you know, how much they value this week. I think it's a big piece of it. And it's not only centered around what the players do on the field. I think that fans every year we remind them that what you see on TV is just one slice of the pie of what the combine is. The medical checks, the interviews, probably the interviews might be the most important thing that they, the Ravens front office does there. Honestly, mm-hmm. in in just the discussions they have, it's really their best chance to sit down with a lot of these prospects and kind of get a feel for them and what the kind of person they are and what kind of player they might be. That's a huge part of this. Uh, so I think that also for the Combine, even beyond the draft preparation, it's a time where kind of people just rub elbows and and the league comes together to kind of get a feel of what might happen. You know, agents talk to front offices about players re-signing and whatnot. You can't talk about free agents you might want to sign from other teams, pending free agents, but you can talk to agents of Justin Matty Bike's agent, for example, right? That stuff can happen at the Combine as well. That stuff always happens. I mean, honestly, like that, the business side of it, outside of like the prospect interviews and evaluations, that is like... It's a major piece of the puzzle. Maybe just as important. Like all those conversations, everybody's in one place. And it's always kind of funny. It's like, why does that all just happen at the combine? It's basically because all the decision makers are in one place. They all go to Indy. And so agents could have meetings with every single GM over the course of a three-day span, five-day span. And so that's what's happening. A lot of business gets done there. Yeah, they're having those conversations all throughout that week. Um, Coffee shops, steakhouses, wherever it is, like they're having those mm-hmm. conversations, uh, working on on those types of deals, and I, that is a very big piece. And then also, like the other the other piece of that equation is all the media is there too. So you have all of the <laughs> it's all these really important people, and then you, yeah, yeah, exactly, the non important, <laughs> but you have like all the media there, and so like all of the all of the reports start trickling out, you know, from Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter mm-hmm. or whoever else about where things stand on some of these fronts. And um, I think that will also be part of the what we're looking out for. Like, this is always when you hear so-and-so is interested in targeting X in free agency. Like, mm-hmm. there will be a report about that that mm-hmm. comes out over the course of the next week. And so that's um, that's kind of a fun, a fun piece of it. I think, like, when I look at, like, how valuable it is, I, I, I definitely think the Ravens put a priority on it. Like, I think they want guys who meet a certain athletic standard. I think that like they like they've they've drafted plenty of like guys who you kind of classify as like athletic freaks mm-hmm. and I think that like they they want high upside players. And mm-hmm. I, I really think that they put value on that. 
And the combine is where you get kind of an equal, an equal playing field understanding of how great the athleticism is for these players, how fast they are, how explosive they are, how big they are. Mm-hmm. They get answers on all of that at the combine. And so I, d- I do think that the Ravens put, you know, pretty high value on that. Yeah, I agree. And I kind of do wonder whether the Ravens, you know, their philosophy on, on drafting players is never going to change at its core. I agree with you that it has seemed like under Eric DaCosta, there's been maybe more, you know, high high ceiling mm-hmm. guys who, who might not have this high a floor, mm-hmm. let's say. Like, more shots taken in that regard of athletic some of these athletic freaks that you're talking about. And I wonder... With the Ravens having a really strong core of, of young star players like and a lot of holes, a lot of free agents, and you have the MVP quarterback. like You have a lot of pieces in place, but you're going to need some good young players that you are reliable. Like I look at the Chiefs model, for example. Patrick Mahomes. They have Patrick Mahomes, Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey. Uh, those are really the three Big, Those are three heavy high hitters. paid guys, yeah. right? Heavy hitters, and Joe Tooney was another heavy hitter guy. But then behind that, they've just done a really good job the past four years of hitting a lot of doubles, right? Like they've been drafting late in each round mm-hmm. because they've been good. That's what the Ravens have typically been doing too. And they've just hit on a lot of starters. Like none of these guys necessarily might not be massive, massive stars. I mean, Trent McDuffie maybe, but he's primarily a, kind of a slot corner. Yep. Like They've hit a lot of doubles and, and triples and gotten a lot of starters, Creed Humphrey, in the second round, right? Like guys that were huge, big parts of that team, but they weren't necessarily high upside guys. These were all kind of like the quote-unquote safe picks, right, who ended up being contributors. And I just wonder if the Ravens, with a lot of stars in place, are in the mode of like, we got to get some good young, we can rely on this guy to be a starter early on and be a young contributor fast. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I've got some things to add to that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue that discussion. We're coming to you from the SeatGeek studio. We want to give a shout out to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the Baltimore Ravens. We want to let you know they've got a limited time offer running right now. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use the promo code FLOCK if you're a new user you can get a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Again, the promo code is FLOCK, only at DraftKings. You need to be physically present in Maryland to play in at least 21 years or older. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. All right, so in terms of uh, your your point in, in using the Chiefs example and taking kind of the high ceiling versus high floor mm-hmm. player, you know, I think if I go back and... and it's always too simple to put guys into a box, but I look at the draft with Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum as basically the high floor draft in a lot of ways. But obviously both players I mean, have Ham- also... I mean, Linderbaum, sure, like not a sexy position center. Well, <clears throat> you were like, this guy, I just he's going to be a consistent, really good player, Pro Bowl or whatever. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you have a high ceiling too if you're a pro. Well, that's the thing is like now, now like both Hamilton was kind of like a freak. That was a, a bit of a projection with him. You didn't. It, it was, but he also the 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 knock on him. I don't think was athleticism at all. You know, maybe mm-hmm. speed, but basically position. You know, what is mm-hmm. it, also high? How high do you take a safety? That mm-hmm. was the knock mm-hmm. on him. Mm-hmm. And I think that like 
you basically in that draft, you had the best safety and the best center. Mm-hmm. And the Ravens said, you know what? Like those aren't the sexy premier positions. They're not corner. They're not tackle. It's not quarterback. It's not receiver. Mm-hmm. But we feel like these guys are the clear best players at their position. We're just taking them. And you end up with two guys who are, are great players. Again, I'm yeah. simplifying here. Yeah. But Look, like ultimately, here's what I think it comes down to. I don't I don't know that the Ravens really look at it in those terms that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. High ceiling versus high floor. I don't think that when they're on the clock, they're saying like, you know what? Give me the high floor guy and I'm going to issue the high ceiling. Like, yeah, I just don't know. They, they just say, give me the best player. That's honestly how I see it. Uh-huh. I think what it boils down to, though, and I wrote about this in my 50 words or less column is like the Ravens got a hit. You you got to hit a lot of these draft picks, and and that's the case every year. Every the Ravens have always seen the draft is the life lifeblood of this organization, but especially as Lamar Jackson his contract keeps escalating. When you have a quarterback on that second deal, it gets tight, and you need a lot of cheap la- cheap talented labor <laughs> is what you need because you just can't you don't have the money, and the Ravens won't have the money, especially if they pay Matabike especially if they have to pay him on the franchise tag, they will not have the money to add some of those ancillary pieces that they have in other years. Yeah. Like a Jadavion Clowney, perhaps, or, yeah. or whomever, right? Or they'll have to cut more guys, and you have to fill in those spots with either young players you already have on the roster or draft picks. And so, like, they're going to have to keep that pipeline really strong. And so I think, you know, it sounds silly because every year I feel like we can make a different argument for why this is the year, why it's the most important draft in Ravens history. Mm-hmm. Like, every year you could make that case for some other reason, but I honestly think that if the Ravens are going to have more continue, continued elongated success than they did during the Joe Flacco second contract era, it's because they're going to have to hit on draft picks, especially those early draft picks that turn out to be major difference makers on your team soon. Right. I, I do think, you know... When and the I combine's at, kind of the start of that. Yeah, the combine's the start of that. When, when I look at... It's just interesting to me, like, when I look at... Like, what have I learned through watching Eric DaCosta's draft since he's been the general manager? And, like, there's a lot of, I guess, learnings. But going back to the Hamilton and Linderbaum example, I do think that there's, like... There's an element of... They are going to just take the best player, mm-hmm. yes, even if it's not a sexy position. Like, I think mm-hmm. that, like, that is a learning to me. And they... A lot of people would be... That, that's why Kyle Hamilton fell to 14. Like, teams in the top 13 were like, are you going to take a safety that high? Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. his position? I don't know. That's why Linderbaum, who's a pro bowler in his second season, is available <clears throat> is available at the end of the first round. Are you really going to take a center who's a little undersized as your mm-hmm. first round pick? Eh. Right. And the Ravens weren't scared off by that. They were just like, these are great football players. I'm not scared to take a center in the first round. I'm not scared to take a safety in the first well, round. Well, and also you talk about need versus talent, right? Best player available versus need. I mean, Kyle Hamilton, when they took him, they already had Chuck Clark mm-hmm. and and uh, Marcus Williams. Yeah. They just signed. Yeah. So certainly safety was not high on the needs. No, not at all. But you look at it now and gosh, where would this team be without Kyle Hamilton? Right. He's like one of the best players on this team. <laughs> right. And so is Tyler Linderbaum. It's right. like Now center was a little, I mean, he was plug and play from the get, from the jump. But He, he but was, yeah. that was more of a, that was more of an immediate clear need. Yeah. But with, but, all of a sudden, both these guys are pro bowlers, and, and those picks worked out. And it, it's always easy, like if these picks work out, to be like, "Here's the clear strategy, and just do that again." Like I'm, again, I'm oversimplifying here. Well, the Ravens, the Ravens. The fact of the matter is, the Ravens have like five needs that you could say, "Yeah, you could use a first round pick on that." Right. There, it's not a small list, <laughs> you know. So, uh, 
I think it's it's actually a little bit different from last year where it was like we all went into the draft and even the combine and we're saying we're watching wide receivers and corners. Those are the two positions mm-hmm. we're watching. Sure, we'll keep an eye on the outside linebackers and, and whatnot, but we're watching the wide receivers and the corners. This year is pretty – it's different. I mean, guards – Ta- offensive tackles, uh, wide receivers still, edge rushers, cornerbacks still. You could make that case. I mean, running back, I don't think a first-round running back, but like that's going to be highest on the list. I, I don't think so either, but going back to my whole point here, like, could they take a – this sounds kind of – could you take a guard in the yes. first round? Yes. Could you take a running back in the first round at 30? You know, like you could. I don't know if that special guy is there, but – I don't know if there's that special could. guy. I don't know if there, that special guy is there either. But, mm-hmm. like, I, I guess I just don't know that, like, the conventional wisdom of, like, ah, I'm not really sure about a, a first-round guard. Or, I'm mm-hmm. not sure about a first-round running back. A lot of teams don't want to take first-round running mm-hmm. backs, don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. Do the Ravens feel that way? I don't know. But a lot of teams, you know, would be scared off by a first-round center. The Ravens weren't scared yeah. off by that. I, I didn't even mention defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly, you could take a defensive lineman, especially depending on what happens with Matt BK if he's on the tag. You, you could take in a the DN. first round. You could take a, a DN first round. DN yeah. primarily. Yeah. I wouldn't say a D tackle. They're pretty well stocked there, but a DN. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. So it's basically every position we just name, with the exception of safety. Well, I mean, if <laughs> if I if I'm rank if I'm ranking them, I probably say O line, whether that be a guard or a tackle or a guy who starts a guard and moves to tackle or whatnot. Yeah, that would probably be number one. I would say corner and outside linebacker might be tied for number two. Yeah, maybe I give the edge to outside linebacker, edge rusher, and then I'm going D end and wide receiver right behind those. Well, the other learning for me in these drafts is never rule out a wide receiver with Dacosta. That's very true. I mean, he's done it three out of four he's, years. He's he's taken three first round wide receivers in his tenure. Exactly, and, and I mean Nelson Aguilar is back on a one year deal. Rashad Bateman, if they don't pick up his fifth year option, is playing on the in his is in a contract year. Yeah, and they don't want that room to be. They want that room to be well-stocked. They want it to be well-stocked, and I think DaCosta's made clear that he views the draft as the best avenue to to oh. to fill the receiver position, yeah. even though they did add Aguilar and Odell Beckham Jr. last yeah. year. So they kind of did it. They did it both ways with Zay Flowers and then the veterans. They just mm-hmm. invested a ton <laughs> in the receiver position last year. Mm-hmm. But I think that, generally speaking, he wants to use the draft to restock that receiver position. Definitely. So, like, if it's if it's – Pick number 30, and all of a sudden we hear the Ravens call out a wide receiver's name in that spot. I won't be shocked. Yeah. I won't be shocked. Right. Sitting here now, I'd be a little bit surprised, but but not shocked. Maybe that's the way to put it. Mm-hmm. Four out of five would be a lot. It would be a lot. That would be a lot. It would be. So um, I think that, you know, we're going to continue to to break down all of this and, and look at the guys who, you know, could be some of the names. Um, I think that as we go through this week, you start to get a little clarity. The picture, like, it's it's not totally clear, but you get a little bit of clarity as everyone goes to Indianapolis. So the draft experts are talking to the teams and the scouts and the decision makers. You know, I think that the mock drafts after after this week start to, start to have a little bit of uh, – Again, clarity and also similarities between them as everyone's talking to the same people. a little people. consensus. I think there is a little bit of that. So all of that will come into to shape and to view over the course of, of the next week or two. So it's going to be fun. Um, we're going to continue to bring all, all the content from this week in Indianapolis. We've got some fun stuff planned. So uh, make sure that you have subscribed to the Lounge Podcast, subscribe to the Ravens Press Pass podcast feed, follow us across social media, download the Ravens app, follow us every possible way. So thank you for listening. We'll be back with you again later this week. 